Welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter, and the topic today is Bertha Armyworm. The clips for this podcast are from our Canola Watch conference call, which we have each week to discuss agronomy issues out in the fields across Western Canada. As part of the call, we invited Shelley Barkley from Alberta Agriculture and Forestry and James Tansey from the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. Okay, Shelley Barkley, Insect Survey Technologist. James Tansey, Provincial Insect Pest Management Specialist, uh, or Provincial Entomologist, if you prefer. Most canola growers across Western Canada are already familiar with Bertha armyworms. Berthas come in brown, black, and green shades with a yellow-orange stripe along each side. Based on the life cycle described in the Canola Encyclopedia, larvae will hatch all summer long, but the greatest damage comes from mature larvae feeding on canola through late July to the end of August. Mature larvae are up to 1.5 inches long. In an outbreak, Bertha armyworms can reach big numbers and eat a lot of crop in a short amount of time. Outbreaks can also be hyper-local. That is why, even if an area has low moth numbers according to provincial trapping results, each farm should make its own assessment on a field-by-field basis. Shelley Barkley and James Tansey describe trap counts in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, the last time I checked, which was yesterday afternoon, we had about 38 traps that had moved into the um, yellow zone of trapping, so um, with yellow bubbles. And uh, we had one trap uh, just north east of Strathmore that was into the next zone or the orange zone. So that's sort of where we're standing right now. On the Alberta map, yellow is medium risk, orange is high risk. Yeah, uh, we've got one actually that's that's moved to red, just a little point uh, south of Humboldt, uh, and uh, we've got a, a bit of yellow near uh, near Wolseley as well. Manitoba, as of July twenty second, had no traps in the orange range. James makes this point about the monitoring system. An important consideration is that we're not monitoring every field uh, and we can miss some populations that could be uh, on the rise, so no replacement for, uh, for growers getting out and, and monitoring. James and Shelley describe how to scout for Bertha armyworm. Uh, mark, okay, mark out a, a quarter meter, so 50, 50 centimeter by 50 centimeter area. Uh, you can either you know carve that in the soil with your heel or, 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 or just visualize it. In the case of most men, um, from your elbow to the tip of your third finger is is uh, kind of a good measure for this. So if you don't have a measuring stick, then that, that one will also work. A thing to keep in mind is that these animals get scared off the plants pretty easy, and you're kind of counting on that for monitoring. So uh, shake them off the plants. That's 50 centimeter by 50 centimeter. Uh, and uh, uh, try to dislodge the larvae as best you can. You're going to have to dig through the litter and the soil at the bottom uh, to uh, to count them up. Uh, size is important. They're, if they're less than half an inch long, uh, don't consider them as part of the uh, part of the uh, counts, or at least give them lower uh, a lower grade. We'll say uh, it's just the the later instars that are uh, that are causing the most damage. Uh, so you're going to want to do that uh, at multiple sites. So you're 50 centimeter by 50 centimeter. Multiply that by four to get your per square meter. Hit at least five locations that are in, that are uh, typical of the field. So 
try to stay away from headlamps. Try to try to stay away from from wet spots. Uh, anything that's uh, that's atypical of the field. Uh, you want to get an over field, uh, overall field look at things. The more samples, the better. If you have uh, the time and wherewithal to hit 15 sites, and by all means do it, because you get better information. So sort of basically what I do when I walk in a field is, is shake the plants really vigorously because that's a, a good way to knock them off. Um, drop down and drop my quarter square meter into the, can, into, the, into the ground. And then I just sort of take a deep breath and just kind of hang there and then start carefully picking the leaves and, and trash off of the... Uh, off my square meter and watching them move and making sure you turn over those leaves because sometimes they can hang on to those leaves there and and they're really well camouflaged so you have to just take a breath and you know chill out in the canola field and sweat a little would a person want to check every field or can can you have a, a you know a few monitoring fields across the farm to to keep tabs i yeah i think there's there's no replacement for actual data in my in my opinion i think if you're going through the trouble of putting spray down then then you should go through the trouble of actually monitoring here's keith gobbert canola council agronomy specialist and our insects management lead on berthas it's an every field and uh it's an every field check it's hard to convince them not to spray when they're the one field in the nearest four that don't have berthas, but it actually does happen. I, I've, I've literally stood in my father-in-law's field and told him, no, you don't have to spray when the plane was flying next door. As an interesting sidebar, James and Shelley talk about Bertha armyworms' preference for quinoa. They are exhibiting a preference for quinoa. Um, so, you know, given, given their long evolutionary history with lamb's quarters, that makes sense. So uh, that, that might be something worth considering as well. If you've got quinoa growing in, in the area, that may act as a sink. Yeah, I saw a quinoa field surrounded by a couple passes of canola. And in the canola, they weren't at threshold. And in quinoa, they were like, oh, man, this is candy. They were all there. That's where they were. So, and, and yeah. I think another thing that um, my trappers have uh, the rookies for sure um, are are seeing or, or comment on is that because the trap is high, that field has to be high and that's not the case. The trap may be high and that field may be empty, but the one across the road may have been the one where she picked to lay her eggs. Absolutely, and you know, I think the most important consideration with the traps is that we're catching males. Uh, so, and of course, males are, are not very good at laying eggs. Um, so, I mean, that, that needs to be taken into consideration. An assumption we're making is that we've got a one-to-one -one sex ratio and the females are, are, of course, present at the same time as the males. Uh, and, and that has meaning locally. Uh, it, it may, but the, the, the connection, the, the correlation between A and B uh, isn't always very strong. Uh, it's, it's intended to be a rough guideline. Uh, for local populations and to give an indication of when peak emergence occurs and when to that that and that'll give an indication as to when to start scouting but the actual connection between male catches and local pressures uh, could be stronger we'll say now that we know how to scout the next question is when 
uh, you know, so a couple a couple of weeks after peak uh, emergence is uh, is uh, when to begin scouting scouting for alarming. Well, we know when peak emergence is happening. Is like, we, can, is it fair to say that peak emergence would be about now? We're getting pretty close to it, yeah. Which is part yeah. of the reason that we've decided to, to keep monitoring a little bit longer is to get to get a better evaluation of that. But yeah, we're we're right in that area right now. Everything is determined by by uh, by uh, accumulation of heat. So um, as it is in these as it is with these ones. So uh, it's been very warm. Uh, I assume that uh, that uh, emergence is going to be a little bit earlier this year than last. Uh, but we'll know with uh, with uh, the next monitoring period if we're if we've seen a relative reduction in the trap catches, uh, then then we, you know, we'll be able to make a declaration of uh, of uh, peak emergence, and, and we'll we'll make an announcement on the ministry website and, and let you guys know. Keith, anything to add? I really want growers to look at leaves right now, because the birthers will be eating something, so they're going to eat leaves at this point for most of the territory I'm in. Um, and then they'll move up onto the pod. At this point, Shelley, James, and Keith have a bit of a discussion about how often to scout. So one-time scouting isn't enough, correct? Correct. You would go back and scout the field weekly, every four days, five days. What would you do? I mean, to my mind, it depends on heat, uh, and we're having a lot of it right now. Of course, the more heat we get, the faster they're going to move through, through their development. Uh, I would think every three to four days now. If you can make this decision by scouting once, you've waited too long to scout the first time. Yeah, They don't stop eating until they drop off and pupate and, and they'll continue to eat pods long past what a grower will normally suspect they could. So, so they do need to be managed if they're there. So here's a question that I have. I mean, we used to we would say what 16 per meter squared is is your threshold. So guys are going to ask me in the piece um, what the threshold is when their crops aren't so good. So does that that changes the threshold? Does it not? Oh, absolutely. If you don't feel you have a crop that's worth much of anything, or if you only have 40% of the field that's really good and 60% that's drowned out, uh, that's that's part of the art of making a decision, not science. So uh, there's no good answer for that. They will concentrate on the area that you have a crop to sell and continue to eat it. So your only decision is, you know, can I economically spray okay. the good crop? And do I want to lose several bushels that are there now to this insect? You know, I've very rarely had anyone tell me, and, and Jim, please chime in. I've very rarely had anyone tell me when they're looking at, say, diamondback moth seeding that's pretty heavy or large populations of Bertha. I, I've only twice had somebody look at their crop and say, this is so poor, I'm not doing anything. And typically that's well below the crop insurance um, payoff trigger. And it's when they're in a drought scenario across their whole farm. Because if they're not below their crop insurance trigger uh, on every field, then they, most farmers decide they need to preserve as much yield as they can on whatever field they can and, and, and sort of let the dice roll. But, but it, it's a hard decision to make. But I, with Bertha's, I think you, you need to spray them if they're there. 
if they're if they're they're in any significant number. This is one where where formal thresholds have been actually worked out, and and these are worth looking at in addition to the factors that have already been mentioned. So I mean, you will get into a situation where where you know if you've got a tatty crop and it isn't worth spraying, uh, then then that needs to be evaluated. But to Keith's point, it's it's pretty rare where 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 a grower is going to say that. So Autumn Barnes, agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada, asks a really good question that prompts a discussion on natural population control. So I was in a, a field up in near St. Paul years ago that had really bad birth infestation. And there were a bunch of them that were like hanging off the top of plants, sort of like dead mushy sacks of Bertha armyworm. And <laughs> I recall that uh, Scott and Shelley were talking about, um, I believe it was a fungus that was killing them. And I wonder if maybe you guys could elaborate a little bit on um, specifically like parasitoids and any disease that would take them out. Just thinking in consideration for uh, areas that are coming out of outbreak years. Uh, so, so yeah, the, ha- the hanging the hanging sacks of goodness uh, are a nuclear nucleopolyhedrosis uh, virus or a baculovirus. It's in the baculoviridae. Uh, so it's, this one is pretty specific uh, to uh, Lepidoptera and, and can be very specific to, uh, to, to certain groups of leps. Um, what these animals are doing, the, the, the virus uh, changes their behavior and forces them to climb to the top of the nearest thing where they grab on as tight as they possibly can. Uh, and then the, uh, the, the virus ruptures uh, uh, cells within the, within, within the, the animal. Uh, and it, it, um, Puddles it is the term. So the this puddled animal is uh, is raining virus down on uh, all his uh, all brothers and brothers and sisters and and uh, the uh, the other Bertha there and that will uh, it can result in an epizootic. So that is a, a, a widespread infection of those of those uh, of those Bertha. So I, I believe yeah you had some other questions about about other natural enemies like parasitoids. Uh, so if um, Growers are out and they see a large, large-ish, uh, uh, relatively slender orange wasp. This is Bancus flavescens, and it's uh, it's an important parasitoid of Bertha armyworm and uh, and some other noctuids as well. Uh, you'll also see some hairy flies primarily in the spring, uh, and these are uh, these are tachinids, uh, so decent-sized flies. You'll see them throughout the year, but they they tend to be most obvious in the spring. When vegetation is low, uh, these are uh, also parasitoids. These are parasitic flies, uh, and of course, Bertha is uh, a, a fairly tasty bag of food uh, that, that a number of different predators will take advantage of. Uh, everything from, from you know, predaceous beetles to uh, to uh, birds and uh, and mice. Related to this same conversation, Justine Kernelson, agronomy specialist for the Canola Council of Canada, asks about the cycle. The typical cycle that Bertha armyworm populations tend to follow. Could you address uh, like environmental conditions and I guess the Bertha life cycle a little bit more? I know we kind of talked that it comes in 10-year cycles or waves and I'm just kind of comparing the two last years you know we've had or the last few years we've had some really really dry uh, summers and we've seen our Berthas take off and our grasshoppers take off and here in Manitoba, I was just thinking with all the moisture and rain that we've had over the, the month of July, I wasn't expecting some of these insect pests to be much of a concern. I guess, is there any relationships there or um, something that you guys can address to, to that, uh, I guess, topic? 
Yeah, the, the cool and wet conditions tend to tend to contribute to reductions in, in at least birth of populations. There, there are some uh, some other pests that actually like it cool and wet, uh, like uh, a root maggot, for example, um, really likes mm. it cool and wet. But uh, uh, in in the case of birth, uh, yeah, the cool and wet uh, uh, causes outbreaks of disease, uh, not specifically viral diseases, but uh, but uh, we get more typically bacterial and fungal diseases in in those ones. Um, the actual cause of this, I, I realize that uh, that Bertha is a cyclical pest, and, and some of that is thought to do with uh, uh, with cycling of uh, parasitoid and predator pe populations, and, and and the checking behavior that that has on Bertha populations. Um, I, th I think some more work still needs to be done on that, but typically what we're going to see is yeah, that eight to ten year cycle. Uh, I was expecting to see Bertha start to upregulate in their populations last year. Uh, but we ended up with about, on average, about half of the year before. So they 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 continue to, to to decrease. And it doesn't look like uh, uh, populations are very hot in Saskatchewan right now, and, and may not be this year. And there's a good chance that population in the piece could be on its on its way out. Um, you know, when we saw the bad years in central Alberta, it lasted about three years, and then they were gone. So. Um, this is the third year for the piece, so they might be getting a breather next year. Who knows? Thank you to Shelley Barkley, James Tanzi, and my Canola Council of Canada colleagues for their input on this podcast. Well, you know, as my good friend Norm Fleury says, uh, nothing beats boots in the field. He should pay you for every time I've heard you say that. <laughs> well, yeah. I also read one from the Saskatoon farm is the best crop input is your shadow. For lots more on Bertha armyworm identification, life cycle, scouting tips, and the full thresholds table, please see the Bertha armyworm chapter in the insects section at canolaencyclopedia.ca. You can also find more, including the popular green worms quiz at canolawatch.org. Canola Watch is a research-based agronomy service from the Canola Council of Canada in cooperation with the Provincial Canola Grower Associations, SAS Canola, Alberta Canola, and Manitoba Canola Growers. Thanks for listening. I'm Jay Wetter.